Cradeline Network. My name is Conrad, and this is the 232nd episode of Space Spinner 2000, podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one with the progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from our weekly progs, and once again venturing into the exciting world of special editions. In this case, the 1990 Winter Special. It's the, sec- it's the third Winter Special, I should say. And um, as I've said with the previous ones, this is always a, these feel like cash grabs to me. Advantage of the uh, annual heavy winter market, especially uh, this one's uh, uh, costs uh, two pounds twenty five, same as last year. And while it's cheaper than the four and five pound annuals this year, um, it still is three times as expensive as the specials that came out earlier in the year. But enough about my conspiracies. Instead, let's say hello to my guest for this episode, friend of the show, Graham Cannon. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for for coming on, for for coming back, I should say. This episode coming out late because I had a recording error in our initial version of it and feel real bad about it. So thank you so much for coming on the show again. I always say that um, it's a mark. It's not a real podcast. We've lost a few episodes. And so, you know, this is just helping us make that cross that cross that hurdle, I suppose. I feel very glad to be part of history there. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think our last lost episode is like episode 15 or 16 or something like that. So, you know, very much, um, you know, coming back to our roots here with, uh, with, with, a re- with another redone episode. Um, so before we get started, I was wondering if, if, you, if you could share your uh, 2080 history with us, please. Uh, it starts with uh, Judge Dredd. I remember liking the film quite a lot as a child, the Stallone version. Mm-hmm. And then just sort of, as I got older, sort of kind of forgot about it slightly. And then the trailers for the new Dread film came out, and that got me interested again in this character. And I was more into comics, so I started looking him up. Then that's Little Music 2000 and around when that film came out. So about the end of Day of Chaos is when I got into 2000 Oh, nice. I feel like actually that means we have kind of similar... Um, um, 2000 AD stories, if just because I know I was really, um, inspired by the, uh, to, to get into it by the, by, or I, I saw the Stallone Dread movie and thought that was cool, but then didn't really kind of look into it until the Carl Urban movie came out. Although I think I started just at, the, at I started at the start instead of at, at the new stuff, which might have been, I don't know, a mistake on my part, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> Finding myself at the bottom of a prog slog instead of at the top with uh, newer stuff. Nice. So you, so you're you're a relatively new fan. So I guess you you don't have a ton of experience with these um, annuals and specials that 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 we're talking about. None whatsoever. Like I just I I get the ones that come out now, but yeah, none of these old ones. I've never like seen any of their content before doing this read through review. Nice. Yeah. Cool. That, that's awesome. It's nice to know. Like we, I I feel like I I, I talk to so many um, prog oneers and stuff that it's cool to talk to to newer fans that are sort of also coming with us on this on this journey for the first time of like what what is going on here, you know? <laughs> because it is all you know. It's always so new to us. That's kind of interesting. It's it's a big. Um, it's it's a big difference from folks who have been here, you know, who who read all these things thirty years ago, and sort of have their 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 opinion set or something like that, you know, sort of have these fresh eyes. 
Cool. So you're also a member of our uh, of uh, the of the Space Spinner Patreon. How are you finding that so far? Uh, I love it. I enjoy whenever a new episode comes out, and I know that I get to listen to it early and all that. That's great benefits. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely like. I try to. It's a lot of like you know, <laughs> some of it's a war with my own with, with my own laziness, but definitely try to get stuff out in the early as or, or or as it's recorded, and then um, we're also trying to do like you know I'm trying to do shows for modern 2000 AD, and we've got monthly Q and As with me and Fox and stuff, and I think it's yeah, it's a, it's it's a fun fun thing. I don't know. We're having a good time with it for sure. Awesome. Okay, so let's uh, jump into this here special. Here we go. Second go. time. Yeah, second time for us, first time for you, but I think it should work out pretty fine. Um, we start with a pretty cool cover by Simon Bisley here. Um, we'll learn, like the, the cover says, and we'll learn this inside the in the uh, the cover or the comic itself, that this is the Laugh-O-Rama winter special, which is, which is ominous. <laughs> I didn't pay much attention to any of the words on the cover when I first read it, so I didn't notice that. Oh yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a very striking cover because it's it's a it's a it's a character montage by Bisley, which is pretty rare. I think we've got this very Dracula-looking Tharg mm. up on the top with the big um, pop collar and stuff. Except for his hair looks like it's all like a British judge's type. Oh like yeah, curls at the sides. Yeah, or like a like a peos or something like that. Yeah, it's, he's got a it's it's an odd hair look for Tharg today. Do you recognize any of the droids? Of course, yeah. He's surrounded by these creative droids. Um, I think from left to right, there's um the Steve McManus spot, the uh, Ig Igroy, the Igor Goldcoin drop. Uh, 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 bot, uh, Bert, of course, Richard Burton. Bert, of course. Uh, then, uh, uh, uh Tama Tomlinson on the, on the far right, the, uh, okay. the, the John Tomlinson bot. And then just, I think in the rest, it's just sort of random robots, mm. not actual characters, I guess. Um, then in the foreground, we've got, um, Dread, who's apprehended Bradley, who is, um, <sighs> <laughs> covered in grenades and buttons and so forth, or uh, badges, yeah. I guess you'd call them in the UK. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Heroes badge. <laughs> we can't call them ninjas, all right? It'll excite the kids. That's what I've, that's what I've been told. There'll be nunchuck um, attacks on, on the streets of London or something. Um, we've also got uh, Dix Barton, who's escaping with um, with Michael Caine in the front. Um, yeah, l- listen... Again, the puns are, are so important, you know? Um, and yeah, um, then on the inside of the uh, – on the inside cover, we've got um, – a uh, b- besides just, just the, the table of contents, we've got um, the we, – we, we've got a picture of a tourist asking Dredd for directions as he arrests a perp. Um, it's signed by Douglas, which is the uh, – which is uh, 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 Doug Braithwaite. Mm, yeah, he works a lot with Alex Ross, doesn't he? I mean, he's got a lot of like. I feel like it. It does kind of have an Alex, like a sort of realistic look, like you see with Alex Ross sometimes. For me, I think like I sort of had some help from Facebook folks. I I identifying the author for this one. It always comes back to Braithwaite for me, just because Braithwaite always draws um a really wrinkly dread mm. uniform. I guess like you can see it here. Although it's a bit Cliff Robinson. The wrinkles as well. Yeah, he did. Although, like you know, I'm 
Yeah, at, at this point, as a as a as a dread profession, as a dread identification professional or something, it's all these all these little differences. Like, oh yes, but the oh, yeah. the uniform's too black to be Robinson, you know, who has a very who has a very light blue dread. Oh yes, you know, <laughs> he'd have uh, two guns instead of one. Oh, that's more of a Ron Smith. Yes. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was looking at Robinson. You know, they all they all blend together, or like you know the um, there's there's like a I swear you could put together like a spectrum of dreads by artist, and just take like you know twenty dread artists, and you could put them in like a row from like a soup from like a uh, like Brian Balland like super orthodox dread to. Like Brendan McCarthy, like super unorthodox dread, and just have like each one in row, each one going down the line of like, yeah, like little differences and changes and stuff like that, you know? Like Gary Leach's inks would be next to Bolland's, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have like, you know, Bolland and Leach and like Robinson on one side, and then like, um, McCarthy and maybe sometimes like Henry Flint or something like that, maybe on the other side where it's more like, you know, like, all right, like they're bringing a lot, a, a lot of their own work to these trends. Could be in the middle because he's very cartoony, but he also does a lot of impressionist. Yeah. I, you know, Ron Smith is always, he's, he's this enigma where sometimes things are very, um, very cartoonish, but he also does the, but like, because he's such a caricaturist also, he can, um, like there ends up being a lot of realism mixed in there as well. Mm. For sure. And speaking of dread, let's move in to Thrill One, Judge Dread, the man himself. <laughs> so, uh, script robot Mark Miller, art robot Brett Ewins, lettering robot TF Clone, which I believe stands for Tom Frame Clone, but not really an answer of who the actual letterer is, I guess. Hmm. Maybe an. Maybe one of the uh, art editor's assistants. It could be, or I mean, yeah, it could be. Um, in 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 the late nineties, we're starting to see a bunch of new uh, letterers come in. So it could be that, or it could just be even one of the more traditional letterers. Or like part of me th- assumes that when it says something like that, it's like Gordon Robson because he's always has like uses fake name like a uh, 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 pen names and stuff for oh. his um, um, lettering. And I think he'd also be savvy enough that frame letters all of Judge Dredd that he'd have a have a pun have a joke mm. name for lettering Dredd in a non-standard situation. You know, I wish I could identify letterers more. Honestly, that's my yeah. I, I know um, she's not with us, but uh, Ellie Deville. No, Deville. Yeah, she's that's starting to. Yeah, Ellie Deville. She she she, she something later this um. This this special and she's starting to start letter things as well. One of her hallmarks was um, a reverse Q, so the little tick would be in the opposite side. Oh, interesting. Okay, I got to keep an eye out for sure. But so uh, Mark Miller is a bit on a, on a bit of shaky ground here with Dread. Very early work with him. He won't write Dread until 1993 yeah. in the Progs. So is this maybe a trial for him? Was he written some? Dread in other specials before this? No, this is his first time doing any any Dread, but he's still very new. I mean, I, I think 1990 is when he kind of debuts um, and sort of we finished the year with his first, like he's sort of done some future shocks and stuff, but this, the end of 90 was when we started to see him actually have a series with a silo and then he'll pick up with the Robo Hunter reboot um, in, in, in 91. 
Um, but this could be sort like th- this could be some kind of tryout for the record. Like, I mean, these specials are always are are often where people's trial scripts and arts sort of are are then used, basically. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and, have a and veteran the, artist with a new writer have a veteran writer with a new artist. That's definitely yeah. That's often the case. Although sometimes I know they have sort of double rookies or something like that with sort of a blind mm. submission, I guess. Um, but so it's Christmas time at the Scott Blocks, where newly installed security cameras allow Judge Dredd to take out a dude dressed like Santa Claus. As we learn that in these blocks, where everybody seems to have Scottish accents, Christmas has been canceled. Oh no! He said the name of the story. <laughs> It's in the big font, too, so you know it. Like, it's like, you know, this is how we know. (laughs) Second time, he's canceled the holiday. Yeah, he's canceled Christmas and New Year's. You rested that block where everybody got their Christmas wishes. Like, Dredd doesn't like these holidays, you know? Um, Have we ever known if he actually officially reopened those holidays? Well, I mean, New Year's was canceled because there was that, like, a Mm. genius kid that was holding the city hostage, I think. The prototype PJ. Yeah. But this one, I think, I mean, th- for this one, Christmas is canceled primarily in the Scott blocks. <laughs> and we learn it, um, and we learn from Judge McPhee, who runs these security cameras, that it's because there was a, uh, a bootlegging operation, like, you know, d- um, um, distilling homemade whiskey or whatever, in the Archie McPherson block, who was a uh, Scottish football commentator. Ah, okay. Last moment. Yeah. All right. Um, and in retaliation, Dredd has had all Christmas stuff torn down from all these blocks. You know, anything related to Christmas, including caroling, gets you sent to the cubes. That's just how it goes. You get six months for Christmas action, basically. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely getting serious. And eventually we actually see, like, the still where they're, um, where they're making this fake booze. I call free scotch. Hmm. Woo. Yeah, no, they they hate it. They're like, ah, oh, who can, uh, how, how can we have Christmas with mineral water and caramel coloring? Ah, it's the fake stuff. But so, but because they're taking it so seriously, we see this still then get raided by uh, by judges in tanks shooting to kill. There's like a dozen judges here. It's crazy. Um, it's very important, Conrad. I guess so. Wow. They are not, you know, they're not messing around. You know, it's a big gunfight around this still and stuff. Um, when the still's taken down, though, Dredd is still un- unfulfilled. He's not going to rest until every bottle of alcoholic whiskey is in the scotch block is found and seized. Um, luckily, of course, all the apartments have um, cameras in them, so it's only a matter of time before they find them all. In the Christy Wark block, who's a uh, Scottish newscaster, we see that the block building itself has a plaid on it, which is yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> like, I think, like, the, the the question of what's going on with these Scott blocks is very, is is a big question. Like, why are... Why are there just blocks for just the Scottish? Is it, like, an immigration thing? Like, you have to live here first before your papers are... Released, yeah, it, seemed, it seems like it's, um... <laughs> Yeah, like it's like people like repatriated from Calhab or something like that. And they just tossed them all in a couple blocks and just like, all right, you guys just just stay here and like you you know keep your cultural ways for, um, a, a little bit or something like that. At least it's uh, a Scott block being written by Scott and not like a Mexican block or something like that. And we'd have Mexican accents. I mean, I think like especially for like Br- British Isles things. 
like they're okay with the with, with, with that like i um in record like uh recording ahead fox and i are are, are just at the start of the uh emerald isle story by a uh, garth ennis and they mm-hmm. They make a big that. deal to say that um, most of the creative team is either Irish or lives in Ireland right now. They're trying to like cover themselves a little bit. <laughs> I loved it. Was it when they did the bombings of that? But they didn't blow up the Guinness factory for some reason. <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, listen, it's a crazy, it's a crazy story. Like you know, they're like. Uh, Folks, you know, they got guns that like shoot potatoes and stuff. We'll get to it in 91. Like, it's on the way. Uh, Look forward to listen to that. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, in this block, McChee, uh, Judge McChee sees a, uh, a guy pull a bottle of old baloney out. That's the name of the, uh, of the uh, distilled whiskey, the old baloney. Um, out to toast Christmas, and when he does, Dredd swoops in. And um, there's an in- I noticed an interesting thing here in this swoop because it seems like Ewan's is sort of doing some mm. work to differentiate the dread the uh, judges. If you look at like their helmets, yeah, like, I, I believe he always did that, and I always appreciated it. It's something I think both Ewan's and McCarthy do a lot. Actually, is sort of they don't like drawing identical judges, so they'll sort of do little things to give him different shoulder pads or different helmets or something like that. To kind he, of... Was it him or was it McCarthy that did the uh, Japanese judges' designs? I believe that's McCarthy. Yeah. You can, you know, that's why their helmets are so wide, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he had a word from Fark. He went, oh, I'll show you wide. Yeah, exactly. Listen, I'll give you all the width in the world. <laughs> But so, oh uh, yeah, I like these different he- um, um, helmets and stuff like that. But so they arrest this guy, take him away. They search his house and find more Christmas stuff. Oh no, <laughs> all these toys and stuff. And uh, to to um, find and and after taking all the presents and all this other stuff, Dread rubs it in one final time by just getting in a little girl's face and telling her that there's no such thing as Santa Claus. Whoa, what a heel. So so evil, I don't believe it. Um, and the story ends with Judge McChee, who's a Scot himself, and he's the one who has the last bottle of whiskey in the blocks. And, the last baloney. Yeah, yes. And so he um, is just like putting his feet up, like, ah, oh, uh, 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 here's to Christmas, even if, uh, even if J- Dread canceled it, you big naff. And mm. sips his whiskey and seems to have a ha- have a happy new year, even though he himself seems blissfully unaware that his own apartment has a video camera in it watching him right now. And so, you know, I hope that drink was worth the trip to Titan, buddy. 20 years. <laughs> you gotta uphold these, ju- uphold the law, man. Come on. He'd be back this year, wouldn't he? Sorry, what? It's 1990. This, oh, no, is it yeah. 90 or 89? 90. So he'd be back this year? Oh, yeah. Well, I guess 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he'd be, he'd be, he'd be just back, I guess. <laughs> as we, as, as this is recorded, yeah, in like, in like, around, yeah, around, around Christmas time, um, uh, 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 twenty one, twenty, yeah, uh, twenty twenty or something. So, yeah. oh wait, or would he be dead though? Because of all the things that have happened on Titan. <sighs> that's that's spoilers. For that's a depressing story. Actually, no, no, sorry. Twenty years. He 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 would have back twenty years ago in twenty or ten years ago in twenty ten. That's right. Doing the math wrong, but um, 
Yeah, but you know, it's hard to. That's oh, the problem yeah. with these. I did math wrong as well. <laughs> that's the problem with these follow-up stories. You know, is that like as much as you'd like to like. I'd love to follow up with every person, but so often just the easiest answer is, you know, oh, yeah, they died in Necropolis. They died in Judgment Day. They died in Day of Chaos, you know? <laughs> like, I think there was um, another Titan story of a judge going to time where it's because they fell in love and the woman said they'd wait for him. And it's like, they probably backed out. And I wonder if they did wait. Oh, man. That's tough because, like, not only is it 20 years, but also there's all the uh, Titan uh, surgeries and stuff they make you get, you know? It's a, it's a test on a relationship is all I'll say. <laughs> and speaking of a, of a test of patience, let's go to Thrill 2 Droids Joke Pages. Um, just a quick a quick text page with the Ewan's art from the nerve center winking on the top as we see various yeah. creative droids. Just tell some pretty basic jokes here. There's some knock-knock jokes and stuff like that as well. Knock-knock. Who's there? Captain. Captain who? Captain Kirk. Woo! Oh, sorry, Mom, there's a man at the door with a wig on! <laughs> sorry, no, Conrad. Yeah. Do you believe these were actually written by the creators, or is it just a editor's assistant that had to write them and then just put different names to each one? It's a good question. I mean, it's tough because <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why they would um, like why an editor's assistant would assign which joke to who. That seems like so hard, you know, <laughs> almost or like just because there are some very very random like like creative droids in here like mike hadley and stuff like that like like no offense to mike hadley he's just sort of not like a mainline guy in here i guess and like you'd think you'd pick like have like a like a like and it's all sort of like you know again sort of up and comers and and low totem pole guys like uh, you know megan's been around for a while now right yeah i mean a lot some of these guys have but a lot of them are sort of like like this feels like sometimes when we've had um, creator profile sections, and they're clearly just whoever's mm. hanging around the 2080 office. They make fill out a questionnaire or something like that. So p- part of me wants to think that they just sort of like because it's it, like these are all guys who I who I'm pretty sure are sort of young dudes that who who would be hanging around the office. So maybe they just sort of had everybody find a joke or something like that. I don't know. I want I want to believe that. That they supplied these jokes is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I want to believe it. <clears throat> and so that um, – yeah. And so that continues on to uh, – you know, speaking of, of folks hanging around the nerve center actually, <laughs> let's move on to Thrill 3, Tharg the Mighty. Script robot, the mighty, the mighty one himself. Art robot, uh, Carlos Escara as Long John Silver. Letter robot, Ellie DeVille. quite like this one, especially the Carlos art. Oh, but definitely. he signed it as Long John, so he obviously didn't like it or sunk. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I mean, it's it's hard to tell, but yeah, I think, I mean, because because I believe Ascara has signed some of these um droid life pictures or 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 stories in the past, but yeah, that is usually what he does when he's when he's disavowing something, be it uh the final episode of Rick Random or um that ABC Warrior story with the dinosaurs or something like that, <laughs> um. Anyway, this is the start of not one, but two Tharg the Mighty Thrills this special. Oh, man. Yay! So much Tharg. I'm glad you came along with me, Graham, because I need help to get through these. Um, 
<laughs> but no, 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 these are fine, actually. I don't know. Um, this one, I should say, um, kind of looked like it, it might have started as, as a color comic and then went black and mm. white just because yeah, there's the a lot of... A lot, yeah. Yeah, like all the... Like what what looks like sort of these gray ink washes in this story. Do, like black colors on top to add. Yeah, like, yeah, like like sort of see, as as the start of color or like... like It just has has a different feel than a scare as usual black and white. Um, well, when art? have you been working on this post-Necropolis or soon after Necropolis? Probably, yeah. I mean, because... These are usually, I feel like most of these specials are, or I, I, I don't know, but I like, I assume the winter special and the, as, is done at the same time as the annuals and the rest of the specials, which is usually around like March or April, I think. Mm. A, a timing I know mostly because, um, one time they had the old title of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> In, in the name like it was it was still revenge of the jedi because that title change didn't come until like the summer of, of 80 of 83 but um so i think it's usually around then so yeah this would have been right around when Ascara was started like when not not when he was starting writing necropolis of course but when necropolis was starting to come out i guess mm. Um, and, and and I make reference to it in the story as well. So actually, and so 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 maybe that, and because it's a it was supposed to be colorized, but 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 it's now black and white might be why he's using the pseudonym on this one. Actually, like those two things kind of make sense to me. Um, Didn't quite get to finish it completely. No, like there's sort of or like you know they sort of the the they had to reserve the color pages for some other story that came in or something like that. I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of politics as to who gets what pages in the in, in the course of these um, specials. It still looks nice. Yeah, no, I like it a lot. Like I, you know, I don't know. Like I think, like I, 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 I think I've talked about this with Fox as well, but I really like these. I like these Th- Tharg the Mighty stories when they're about like the politics of the nerve center, and we can kind of check in. Of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When it's like a, a pro wrestling show, and there's all this stuff that's happening backstage and stuff like that, or like a like the Muppet Show, for for instance, yeah. also, right? Like this idea that we've got this comic that's going on, but then backstage there's all these people like furiously working <laughs> to put things out. Being stuff. held together. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really fun. Very like, you know, I can I can empathize with it as a, you know, doing my own show here, you know, or whatever <laughs> else. I think I think everybody can kind cats, of you need to get in boxes. Exactly. Exactly. I like though yeah, so I, I like these kind of stories way more than like I guess a thrill sucker Tharg story, well, which is more about Tharg. Really, being... it's more droid life, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What would become the the those droid life strips? Um, later in 2000 AD, yeah, like just because when because w- all those thrill suckers, like all the uh, sort of th- ones where Tharg is the hero is is like a superhero, aren't that great? I think just because Tharg's so omnipotent that mm. most of the story is just waiting for Tharg to notice there is a problem and then he fixes it instantly, basically. Like that's sort of like like there's only one real plot line for those, I guess. The sort of threat of the story of like get this done or I'll make you go to Metquake, then it's more interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the story we have here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> because in the command center, now in Camden's uh, Triangle instead of King's Reach Tower, we see Mac One, the Steve McManus droid, flipping his lid as he explains to Bert that the Mighty One has demanded a winter special, a comedy winter special with good jokes. Like he demands knee slap. Mm. He demands thigh slappers, I should say, or he'll be destroyed, <laughs> which is tough. That's a tough, 
Tough. It's tall order. Um, well, Bert's definitely trying his best to help with, you know, top tier jokes. Listen, Bert, is, Bert hears that they're supposed to be jokes and thus becomes a pun machine. He's not a, he's no longer an editor droid. He's a pun droid at this point. He's a, oh God. So you've, now, now I, I'm going to spend the rest of this recap trying to figure out a good, a good robot pun, pun. And it's, it's hard, you know? Should have thought about it. Oh God, I had I had extra time too, and it's not working out. Okay, maybe you'll think of it in post. Mm. Oh, geez, post puns. Um, yeah. So, so, so he's got five days. Max springs into action. He asks Wagner for a dread strip, which John, which uh, Wagner just laughs about it so hard that he has to get taken away in a straitjacket. Uh, he's driven insane by it. famous Pfizer. <laughs> I, yeah, I love his. Um, again, we we've got we we see just a just a hint of of Wagner's office with his with his typewriter and his visor and his Saint Dread poster dark with a dart through it. Fog's face, excellent. Um, so instead, Wagner decides, or or in, in, instead, uh, McManus decides to call up uh, Mark Miller because he doesn't know what <laughs> a reasonable deadline is. He'll do it in five days and like it. <laughs> That sounds quite truthful. It's yeah, that that's a little close to the bone, I think. Um, similarly, um, they bring in the Ewan's droid to um, to do art after they ask is scared to do it, and he just starts <laughs> shooting at everybody from his his cottage in Andorra. You know, which which I spent ended up having to do research to find out where Andorra was. It's kind of interesting, but anyway, little little is it micro- between the French and Spanish border. Yeah, it's a little micro nation in oh. in 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 the Pyrenees or whatever, like 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 on the border there. They say you don't learn anything from podcasts. Listen, like I feel like it's the th- that's a, a fact you learn from a podcast that that's not serial killer related. At least you know that's mostly <laughs> what you learn from podcasts. <laughs> I do enjoy uh, Bert now has the dread helmet or judge helmet. He's de- yeah, he's definitely just 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 work using the space and picking up props <laughs> as he does to kind of you know help his uh, help his works. You know. Who sings and helps block unwanted draughts? Julio Double Glacius. I don't even know. <laughs> so uh, Smith joke that die, so he has to like touch it. Like, Do you get it? Uh, eh? Yeah, eh? no, that one. That that's a tough one for me. Um, John Smith comes through with a Bix Barton script, but we see the uh, Jim McCarthy droid come in, and he is clearly drunk or high or something. He's just got a big funnel on his head and saying "flarp," so that's good times. Um, at the same time, Brad uh, Bradley shows up with a special oh, delivery, no. very mysterious. I don't like this at all. Um, it's interesting to see how Carlos does pick. Badly. Yeah, it it, it is because Bradley's such a Simon Harrison creation that it is interesting to see Ascaris take it. Is also a bit of turnabout's fair play, I mm-hmm, guess, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Harrison took over Strontium Dogs, so now Ascaris drawn some Bradley here. Draws his nose in a way that I don't like. I I, I don't understand like his, his Bradley's turtleneck is up above his, up, up above the front of his mouth, but not the sides. It kind of, his of reminds mouth. me of a character from a, a Beano strip called The Bastard Kids. Oh wow! I don't know about I don't know nothing about that Beano. <laughs> I'll send you a picture of him. You can have a look. All right, I'll 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 I'll, I'll certainly check that out for sure. Um, on the fifth day, Tharg is sitting for a portrait with Biz One, the the metalhead Bizley bot. We see just, or actually, no, I don't even think he is. A, I, I don't even no, think Bizley. No, he's got some 
Well, yeah. he's definitely not human. <laughs> yeah, they call him Biz One, but he's definitely like he's mostly you just see like, like his leather jacket and his paint and his uh, jeans or whatever. But he's clearly got like an orchid or something coming out of the top and big, hand as well. big meaty hand with a, with a brush in it. <laughs> um, but presumably he's sitting for the cover of this very. Um, of this very um, um, comic, you can see a Scarra's version of the big um, uh, Dracula cover uh, mm. uh, or, a, or a collar that Tharg has that will be much larger in Bisley's version, I think. Of course. <laughs> um, but so eventually, Mac turns up with a script. Tharg reads it and laughs because it's funny. And then when he realizes that um, McManus says he needed it here in five days, he starts laughing even harder. And we cut to like the Globe Theater in central London or something where Tharg is apparently doing a stand up set or maybe like a spoken word piece or something. I don't know. But he's in front of a curtain as like Bert continues with his bon mons here um, and says that he said five months instead of five days. So what a moon. Oh, what a maroon. So. It, um, McManus is just laughing in a straitjacket and secure wing of a mental institution, presumably next door to the John Wagner bot, I guess. Somewhere in the sub-sub basement, of course. Of. Exactly. So I guess if if it was actually five months, then of course it would have been like, what, July or something like that? August of a, of a 90 when, when they started putting this thing together. So I've been right at the end of Necropolis and stuff for a scare. So everybody's enjoying. Still, he's probably a bit burnt out by then. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I mean, a scare went straight from Necropolis to that Death Aid story. There's still a few months there's a couple months in between. Yeah, it's true. Um, but then, and even Death Aid actually has a gap in the middle of it, like of about a month or so of just other artists t- picking it up, you know. But Iskara is busy at this point. He's doing, he did Necropolis, then Death Aid, then Al's Baby over in the magazine to say nothing oh, of whatever yeah. whatever other was work that he's doing. done early because it was meant to be create a different magazine, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, my understanding is that Al's Baby started out as, as a toxic story and then... Mm. Sort of mo- like moved over to um, moved over to the Meg or something like that. Like it would, you know, it's not really a sci-fi story, right? Like it's so it's sort of not it's not quite in the magazine's yeah, wheelhouse. Like, it, like ten minutes in the future type story, really. Yeah, I, well, I mean, technic yeah, t- in in the future of nineteen ninety, it actually takes place in twenty. <laughs> it takes place in twenty fourteen. You know, the distant future. So <laughs> you know, we've we've lapped it now, basically. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I guess speaking of the distant future, let's go on to Thrill 4, Where Are They Now, Part 1, which uh, with art by Simon Jacob. This is the first in a three-part series here, just checking in with some classic 2000 AD characters. This time we got Walter the Wobot working as a tax collector to a throng of uh, Mega City jerks, basically. Yeah, they don't look happy to be paying taxes. No, there's like two heavily armed ones in the back that I'm sort of, that, that I'm a little nervous about, to be honest. There's the gangster with the bomb. Yeah, there's like a guy with the bomb. There's a lady with like a big pistol and stuff. Like, be careful, Walter. That's all I'm trying to say, you know? No, don't be careful, Walter. <laughs> oh, fair. Actually, yeah, that's super fair. Yeah, antagonize everybody, Walter. Make them wait. <laughs> Do your nails while they're standing in lines. Fine. <laughs> but that takes us to Thrill 5 Zenith. Script about Mark, Mel- Mark Miller. Art robot Simon Colby. 
Um, shout out to okay. Philip Ron Ronco from Facebook for helping me figure that one out. Um, yeah, because in this first one, I, I get a bit of Steve Dillon with the chins. It does have, yeah, it's got kind of a Dillon-y look. Um, I, like, again, my, like, sort of <laughs> putting these guys, putting these styles together. Like, everyone's, like... D- d- like everyone's face is a little bit too square for 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 Dylan. Dylan likes a really um, oval shaped face, also, you mm. know. But I um I've I've had it confirmed that's Colby. But yeah, there's like especially being um. I think it's the eyes you can see mostly of Colby there. Mm, everybody's got really interesting eye shapes here for sure. <clears throat> but so this story is written in an accent, and it's about a guy named Arthur Montgomery. Oop North. Yeah. I hate superheroes. Uh, big Nancy boys perm the hair. Um, but so the art, uh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Um, he's the only non-powered human in a world of superhero. And the story, like, there's some mention of some of the guys who um, who, who appeared in Zenith Phase Three, like, like I think Ace Hart and the Atom Man, I believe, were both characters that that were in Three in in, in Phase Three, just part of the big, um, you know, interdimensional. Assault team that was created for that one, um, but mostly it's just about yeah about him about like I don't know most of humanity was killed and Arthur being in some kind like apparently by the end it seems like he's in some kind of like two thousand one like end of two thousand one or like slaughterhouse five kind of reality situation made by a bunch of super beings that want to be happy like they make like a a version of his wife or something like that mm. who died many years ago. Um, sort of last of a dying breed, so they want to keep him alive as pos- long as possible. Exactly, yeah, but it's very much, yeah, so it's just the one normal person or or non-powered person in a world of superheroes and stuff. Um, there's lots of little random jokes about, like, super-powered folks hanging around and stuff in the course of this thing. But it is, and it's mostly fine, but at the end it is a tech story, and I say boo to tech stories. I quite liked it. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's fun. I mean, it's just like I don't know. I've got a at this point, I've, I've built up in a uh, a dislike of them generally. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> but this one, like yeah. this one was written as a text piece and not as like what you sort of come to think of, like as a his the story. Yeah, yeah. Do it as is. No, I I agree. This one does feel like a uh, like a short story as opposed to a script that's been adapted into a story, which is nice. Also, I should say, interesting to see uh, to see Mark Miller doing this one. Just be, yeah, you know, well, I, I think I think this is the one Zenith thing ever that that's not by Graham Morrison. <laughs> well, it's, they're mates at this point, aren't they? Oh yeah, I mean they'll they'll work together for like Big Dave and stuff. I think in the coming years. That'd be interesting just to talk about that. Woo! Uh, <laughs> just talk about the art as well. Um, the sec, the third panel or the third art piece. It, it's very Steve. Yeah, with the uh, negative space use, the big superhero flash. Yeah, I really like this. This um, not so much the like or no, the first one's good, but I really love. There's a series of three images in this story of um, of Arthur sort of walking down the street with a bunch of random city people, and like that's the first one. Then the second one, like you said, there's this big flash with all this negative space and s- negative space, and like yeah, just a lot of like whites and blacks very stark and a lot of like detail destroyed because of this blinding light and then everybody's turned into a superhero at the end of it or like you know like there's like a, a monster dude and like various guys in costumes one dude with a big gun stuff like that like it's just this it's a very fun image of just instantly everyone becoming superheroes or super powered beings i suppose you'd say just to cover your bases 
because I don't know their moralities. <laughs> Speaking of moralities, let's continue on to Thrill Six Fervent and Lobe. Story's called oh, Comrade. Oh, yeah. Who are Fervent and Lobe? Where do they come from? Oh, man. Yeah, this story is called Holiday on Ice. And listen, so Fervent and Lobe, we've seen a couple times so far. They're sort of Indigo Prime and Tyranny Rex adjacent, I guess. Of course they are. It's a John Smith piece. Yeah, yeah well, obviously, yeah. John Smith piece. As always with John Smith, like it's got to be, it's got to be a little um, Indigo Prime based. But basically, um, in the in the uh, Tyranny Rex story, Soft Bodies, I believe she re- she recruited these guys to help her in her mission, which I never really understood exactly what was going on. But they are they were like cowboys who were also like psychic operatives, or maybe they were psych- psychic operatives who dressed as cowboys, I guess. Um, uh, okay. And they were former Indigo Prime employees who sort of dealt with some sort of, rea- you know, the reality bending stuff that Indigo Prime does so much. Um, and then they had their own solo story um, that was called that like that was um, the Isagiri var- variations or something like that, where they fought the devil and it was an opera or something. Um and yeah, so, yeah, definitely that that had art by by Mike Hadley too, um, and just like they're like weirdos who kind of have who who at at that point dressed like cowboys, but at very highfalutin um, artistic um, ambitions, I guess. Like to like again, it was very uh, like I say highfalutin because they had cowboy hats, but it was very like. <laughs> Like, all right, like, yes, like this, um, like this is the story that I have adapted into a comedic operetta in 10 parts. And it's like, what? Like, why? That's weird, guys. I don't know. And so similarly, this story starts as, um, like with the, with the title card saying that that is an extract from an accidental dimplex, a stage play by Dwayne Loeb, who's one of these two guys, basically. And I should say that. The Isagiri variations, the last time we saw these fellas, um, it ended with them unleashing the forces of hell onto reality, basically, like from hell to the real world. And you hate when it happens. It's it's tough. You know, it happens, you know, like, listen, there's no crying over spilled hell. But because of that, they um, the Indigo Prime folks uh, sentenced them to basically do, like, litter cleanup in limbo for 10,000 years or something like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they sort of have to wear these big suits and then travel around this weird quasi-reality where things are messed up. Um, yeah, so that's where we are now. Um, they're cleaning up limbo. It's going moderate. Um, we see one of the guys, like, pulling their big trawler <laughs> vehicle like, with a tr- little bike. tricycle. Yeah, it's like in the... I do the, like the... Um, Monster truck ice cream truck? Yeah, it's got a big I yeah, like they've got this ice this uh this uh, monster truck thing. It's got a big ice cream on the top, you know, a lot of uh, like a graffiti and stuff written mm, on it. Little little sort of Kevin O'Neill style gags. Yeah, like it's you know, the 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 vehicle is called Mr. Sloppy. There's like writing on the bumper that's like, you know, I lost my love bumper, gender fender bender, things like that on it. And got a gravestone or some block that says R-O-P-L I can't read the middle part but Flynn Arrow Big Boy Flynn it says ah Big Boy 
And then the <laughs> one of the wheels says given shred on it. There's jokes. You know, they exist. It's got like a panel falling off by the looks of it. Yeah. But so um they're rolling through. Um and right now they're heading out to find a demon called Lock Spawn with three K's. And to get there, they gotta pass through this area full of uh like the it's the portion of limbo where people who used to be famous but no longer are reside. Um daytime entertainers. Yeah, daytime entertainers. There's a lot of like random weirdos. There's even like a uh like a, a section of the truly damned of just former child stars. Like the crankies, which is something that's very old and very British. <laughs> like I believe it's a husband and wife duo. Oh I don't versus as like a young schoolboy. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> You don't need to. So much of this, so much of this stuff was just like you know things where yes, I recognize these as um, as jokes, I guess. Like like yes, these like, are jokes. I'll mark these down. Like these these are references. I don't understand the references, but that that's fine. Like it's not really for me, I guess. I do like this kind of field of uh, child stars calling out for 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 Nanette and stuff like that. It is very very horrifying. Um, and that takes us eventually to a giant bingo hall, I guess. Yeah, so like if Las Vegas did a bingo hall. I feel like there are, I don't know, could be bingo halls in Las Vegas. I definitely, definitely couldn't, I haven't, I haven't investigated the town enough myself. Um, but as they enter, they realize that the inside is color. And so as they do, they sort of are crossing back into reality from limbo as they go, it seems. Yeah, full, full break in there with the whole world's in color. Yeah, it's just like big uh, bop, you know, Wizard of Oz kind of thing. Uh, they come in masquerading as caterers, which I guess makes sense because, like, is buyable because of the big um, ice cream on, on on the top of their truck and stuff like that. Got a van full of Holland pies going cold that they got to deliver, stuff like that. Um, they go in, um, and it seems that they're at, like, the uh, event is some kind of wake, I guess. But it's mostly just full of, like, rich people, like, eating stuff and, um, like, gossiping amongst each other mm. and stuff like that. Old ladies have the tea pipes, I think. Exactly. Everybody's talking about, you know... The young people. Yeah, going off with bricklayers and eating, not eating meat, etc. Things like that. Um, so, Fervent and Loeb, like, following their, uh, their spiritual um, thingamajigs... Head to the toilets, and uh, they find their quarry, the lock spawn, in a stone mm. where it's just full on classic body horror, the kind of stuff when you get when yeah. something's written by John Smith, basically. It's, it's a, like three people put together. Um, yeah. A bunch of people. It's definitely just a big mass of like faces and body parts and stuff like that. It's no good. Yeah. Three faces, at least. Three faces and a mouth, I guess. Sort of a lot going on. Yeah. Definite bad times, for sure. Um, the boys manage to, uh, to pop this mass free, but then it escapes into the ballroom where things are going even worse, manifesting as a giant beast. Luckily, though, one of the society ladies is apparently planned ahead for this as she calls in a chorus of a choir children, children of a choir from St. Winifred's to come mm. in and sing Kumbaya at the demon and this in turn... Like, allows her to, like, zap it with the Bible 
and then eventually Kerbin Loeb can put like a big like it's absorbed into the Bible actually oh yeah, yeah sorry yeah it, it gets absorbed into the Bible and then they put like a uh, like it looks like a walker but I guess yeah, it's like all, a, yeah, a Ghostbusters trap or something to kind of lock it in place and they've yeah, caught you go ahead say, the sorry. end yeah so they, they've caught it um, good times they hear one last snatch of song and then darkness just, do you know if this comes back at I don't, all in any of John Smith's work? I don't think so. Like I don't know. Like it's hard to it's hard to search for it. I I don't think there's a lot more fervent and lobe to come. Um okay. I think like Indigo Prime stuff goes in different directions from here. Um this is just a very weird, ominous ending for no reason. Just to kind of have a good time on Christmas, I guess. <laughs> All right. Yeah, exactly. And that takes us to Thrill 7, Where Are They Now? Part 2. And so mm. Mike White, classic Future Shock and Mean Arena artist, comes back to draw genius Abelard Snaz, dressed in shorts, surrounded by ladies. Good times. I feel like this is not going to last well based on the... Uh his past it's true yeah de- i mean definitely abelard snaz never gets to sit comfortably for long you know something bad always happens i should say if there's one if there's one benefit for us um being able to re-record this at a later date it's that i can't say that actually like since <laughs> like since this episode has come out abelard snaz has been rebooted and was back in the prog in the uh in uh, t- Prague 2206, in the Regine Prague, there was a further adventure of Abelard Snaz. So, what's he doing? He's helping, like, some sub- some atomic and subatomic and even smaller dudes in the world of the future, I guess. <laughs> and does it end horribly as it always does? Oh, yes. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> he, de- he destroys the entire universe. So, it's pretty solid, you know. Oh, Abelard. Come on, man. Every time, you know. Yeah, had one job. One job. Don't destroy the universe. I feel like that, that that's all of our jobs. Our fingers are there. C- come on. He threw a, it was a switch that he threw. You'd think he'd figure it out, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, this situation probably didn't last that long. Either. Yeah, I mean, you know, he'll figure out a way to, to, to move on from there. He always does, you know. And uh, but I guess speaking of a th- of a of a of a creeping sense of existential dread, let's talk about <laughs> Thrill Eight Tharg the Motion Picture. Hey, Conrad. Yeah, I did not read this. Listen, I skimmed it. <laughs> yeah, this is just a this is a filler story. Like it's got it's got all the ha- hallmarks of Thrill. It's got a lot of um uh, pictures. Fun Photoshop. Yeah, I mean, Would it be Photoshop or. No, I mean, like, we know that it's post-desktop publishing because mm. of the width of the text in here that looks like sort of someone's been – like, we, we, we've we seen this before. And I think it was actually uh, uh, Art Dread Chris Weston who first called this out to me that they are – like, this is like someone in an early days of, like, word processing and stuff, like sort of mm-hmm. messing with fonts to add some extra length to the uh, – to the, <laughs> the uh, double space for the uh... – yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, if you compare the text here and the text in the Zenith story, there's some differences in the typesetting, is what I'm trying to say. Like, this very much, very we much... Needed, 
four pages to fill. Well, here's how we do it. It's very much like, you know, the day before the papers do, you do not have enough. Um, you, your topic does not have enough words for it. So instead, you're kind of going in like, ooh, like, what if I do copper plate bold or something like that? <laughs> like, what if I what, one of these more esoteric fonts? I, the teacher's never seen something like that before. It'll be fine. You know? <laughs> um. And then, yeah, like you said, there is a lot of like – so like like the idea is that Thargs get onto the, into the movie business and um, there's like jokes about movies. And then I feel like the most most people have consumed of this is pictures where Thargs been um, added into a bunch of different famous um, – or not famous, you know, into a bunch of movie, movie pictures, I guess, adjective-free movie pictures. <laughs> And I think you like it's it's a good question. I don't think Photoshop's around yet, so I think this might have just been someone uh, literally cutting and pasting, like with a razor blade and, uh, and 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 glue, basically. Which, when you know what it's in service of, is all the yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's breathtaking. It's tough. Stephen, I need you to do this by Tuesday. I'm like, all right, Tom. Like, get in there, <laughs> get this up. You know, maybe it's something weird like that. Like. Uh, like, 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 like someone new do it. Like, all right, like a, like a Annie. We got, we need you to do some cutting <laughs> no, and pasting here Annie. or something, you know? Because um, I feel like letterers are do always doing like this kind of uh, a paste yeah, work anyway. Tom Fame used to do the uh, cover splashes, didn't he? Yeah, and they just, I mean, because the way you actually make these comics is you have the original art, and they literally glue the or they they like glued the word or taped the word balloons mm. onto the art, you know. I've got like a Hellblazer page that has that. Yeah, it's such a crazy. Pr- I mean, I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> to me, it's such a it's such a ridiculous process. I guess just the uh, the mixed media of it and stuff like that. I'm just so used to it being on a computer. Mm. Um, but so I, again, mostly the money here are the um, are these photo like I'd say photo you know these uh, edited pictures and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a mix of. Just regular movie stills and Tharg ones. Like I think there's an yeah, Abbott and Costello one in here. Yeah, and then there's a bunch of just like regular movie things. Like I think there's one from like a zombie movie. Yeah, it looks like a zombie. I de- like, like a behind the scenes zombie. Yeah, because someone's put, put, uh, some other guys like hit, like hitting the zombie with with a pair of blow dryers, which looks like a behind the scenes thing. Like Tharg's photoshopped onto 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 one of the guys from Freaks. Yeah. Weebo Wago, um, one of us. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and then um, I, I do recognize this alien with a big brain from the movie uh, This Island Earth, just because that was okay. a, a Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie. It's okay. <laughs> well, it was a Mystery Science used it, so yeah. Yeah, it was, it was actually the movie they did in Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie, like, like the movie version that they did, This Island Earth. Um, folks build a... Build a uh, Build a spaceship from a kit. I think actually, is that Manos the Hands of... No, I don't think it's actually Manos the Hands of Fate. I think it's just a, a, a very satanic looking thing. But I don't think that's Manos. Um, Tharg's hanging out with Frankenstein. He's at like a birthday party kind of thing. Doing sacrifice. One of the guys from Run DMC is Tharg apparently, which is weird. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's a whole thing. And, that, that, and, it's, uh, and this one's... A fillery, um, oh, super filler. So, you know, just get, getting this out here. Although I will say that I do like this final, this uh, last image of mm. um, Tharg, the motion picture, which has um, 
like it's like the uh, Thunderball poster with um, Tharg instead of Sean Connery. Yeah, it's uh, what's that? Is that Marshall? That signature? I think so. Yeah, uh, Paul Marshall. I think I I, I forget who the, who the I I'd write down who the artist who the artist was for this one. Sadly, I don't have handy the poster. I don't know how much of it's like he just recreated play or he just like drew over the parts that needed editing. There, there's definitely some additional stuff in here, you know. But I well, feel yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> even yeah well, obviously but i think even just like the little things of like putting bert hanging off the back of him and stuff like that his sort of symbols on his jacket yeah the, yeah it sort of got like some some tharg things and some almost some, some zenith thing or something like that but yeah definitely but i think it is yeah like i mean it's it, it's definitely a variation on the poster but i believe it's it's legally distinct enough that no le- that no action could be taken i think that's what's important mm, especially in the Britain at that time because we still didn't have parody laws. Oh my. Yeah, you got to be careful, I guess. Um, and speaking of being careful, let's go to Thrill Nine Future Shocks. A uh, script what was about. What twist in this one? I didn't quite get it. Oh yeah. Um, let's just first uh, script robot Nick Barber, art robot Kamilovsky, letting robot Gordon Kid Robson. So, like, this is like Future Shock plot number six, I want to say. <laughs> Or something, ah. so, which isn't an answer, but like is very much like one of these things where it's like, ah, uh, here's a bunch of archaeologists, and you think they're looking at some kind of ancient tomb or something, but it turns out that it's actually far in the future, and instead of like a like a, the pyramids or something, they're at London Nuclear Defense Bunker Number Twenty Eight. Bam, bam, bam. Like you know. It's actually like after the apocalypse or something like that, and people are looking at our past like it's the distant past, I guess. Obviously, the bunkers weren't successful, I guess. I guess yeah, it's hard to tell, or maybe they were never used because there's still people out here and stuff like that. I don't know. Mm. The weird thing is that, I, or the weird thing about this comic, though, is definitely that the art is like watercolor, I think. <laughs> yeah, they... Um... Not expression. What's the word I'm looking for? Like very loose style. Yeah, like like I said, like Im, 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 impressionistic or something like that. That's, yeah, like that it's right. it's got a very like yeah, it's it's very loose. Like it seems like yeah, it's a bunch of, like it's like it's watercolor art, and then maybe like some ink, like some uh, pens have been used to sort of draw in outlines and stuff. Mm. Um, so one step away from like Wilsonson at this period. Yeah, but I think. I think what it does is really um like the like the criticism I hear a lot about this this era is basically um that the art is too much for the paper it's being printed on sometimes and okay. so it means that these that that like th- this amazing printed art ends up looking very can look very muddy on the crappy paper that like the progs are being printed on I can see that. And I think this one kind of comes that way no matter what, where they've sort of tried to do this sort of paint-based look that ends up just feeling very kind of like muddy and vague. Like it's just sort of like, you know, like the second page is sort of all reds and blues that are just kind of smudgy and blurred almost. Like it's just not – it's not a great experiment into this kind of art, I guess. Did either of these traits do anything more after this? I don't believe so. I know this is the only time for, uh, for, for Kamilovsky for sure. You know, this this one feels like a uh, like a test, like a oh, test yeah. comic that was unsuccessful. Basically, well, they only got two pages to do it as well. Yeah, I know it's very much like uh, all right, like we're gonna like I've got an idea for an art style. Like all right, let's see it. Ah, this isn't very good, or we don't really want to do this one. I guess. Um, 
Yeah, don't put it in the pod. We'll just put it in one of the specials. Exactly. Yeah. And hey, speaking of things that I don't really want to do, oh, burn. <laughs> Thrill Ted Bradley. <laughs> Script robot Al McKenzie, art robot Simon Harris, and learning robot Gordon Robson. Bradley's back. Hooray. All right. How long ago has it been since he last appeared for you? Um, Early 1990, I guess. So er- okay. earlier this year, that was when they had that big section of Bradley, like sort of traveling around, talking to different modern day bands and stuff like that. Like he went Probably to like that aged well. It's very like it, it aged indecipher- indecipherably in many cases, where it's kind of like like okay. How many bands did you recognize? I mean, I I, I knew Sisters of Mercy, I guess. Um, but like. I ended up going down a real weird rabbit hole about like Bross and like a bunch of other like sort of like pretty boy like a uh, crooner types from the early nineties. Um, you know, just sort of the the all the stuff that that I think most people know like Rick Rick Astley from like Rick Rolling and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and just finding out all this like I I learned a a. a far too much about what what was going on around Rick Astley in that period, basically. I'm like, oh, God, like, this is just this whole, like, sort of, you know, preteen girl pump, uh, pop scene in 1990. It's real bad. Um, or no. I can imagine some magazines they'd be on the covers of, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, honestly, I, sh- I should take that back. It's fine, all right? Like, listen, I can't. Like, that's the music of my youth. Like, you know, I, I didn't have a new Kids on the Block album, but I, I certainly listened to it. Um, listen to the songs and stuff like that. And, like, you know, pe- people should just like what they like. And I think, uh, like, a lot of those comics were kind of mean-spirited about, um, like, n- not letting people like what they like. Which is, and, like, it's fine. People can be into bubblegum pop music. It doesn't hurt anybody. Of course. You know? Despite what Alan McKenzie would have you believe. So anyway, <laughs> so we see Bradley, known a terror child, brought before a child welfare officer who is a, a, a caricature of something. He's got like glasses that make his nose, that make his eyes all Big weird, nose. giant runny nose, like all this stuff. Um, as well as images of like uh, like a big industrial sign saying that uh, like 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 the government loves you and stuff like that. Standard government issue confidence booster for. Yeah, uh, and of course, side notes from Simon Harrison throughout the thing. Indeed, talking like saying that this guy's weird face is a caring face, things like that. Um, but so Bradley's here. He's like pretending that he's being a. Uh, mistreated by his parents when in fact he's doing all these like really terrifying disgusting things and his parents are reacting normally and he's like oh they wouldn't let me have a pet when it was a big monster you know i was gonna build models he was actually like cutting up a dead body and stuff it's real weird um and collecting stamps yeah he does all this yeah which is like what like a. <laughs> Yeah, collecting stamps like a big indust like a big industrial metal stamp and stuff. Pretty solid. Um, and then like they he doesn't even appreciate when they give him a sweet seventies clothes nineteen seventies clothing combo to wear with a big old like a rainbow afro wig and lots of velour and uh, American flag platform clo- platform shoes and stuff. Oh, everyone's making fun of him. He's lost all of his credibility. Oh, jeez. 
It's great. I don't know. Like I don't. Um, it, it, it's good. To, it's good for me. I think it's pretty solid. He got a paisley shirt. The kids are, are are making fun of him, saying that he looks like a baddie in a Shaft movie. And then he looks like everybody in a Shaft movie. And honestly, <laughs> I feel like that's a solid. That that's a look in um in 2020 like you, you could you you could build a brand with that you know you could like start streaming you could do a whole mm, thing oh yeah i could see that yeah um anyway after this bradley goes onto a rampage and like uh you know does all kinds of crazy does all kinds of evil stuff and because of that he then blames his parents and he gets sent to a group home which doesn't seem great and we see this final these like final pages of the um, of this government guy with again wild curly blue hair sending Bradley to a group home and you know, sees that Simon Harrison has, has hit some deadlines in the course of this mm. because <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on, maybe, <laughs> I, maybe not, but I don't know. The backgrounds fall away. That's what I'm trying to say. The uh, so next attempt here is a wall. Here's a wall. It's not drawn as I do not feel it's essential to the plot. That this um, <laughs> at, at this stage, you know, and so yeah, so Bradley suddenly like he's just floating in space. Yeah, Har- Harrison does does lampshade this pretty well, which I think is 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 pretty is pretty funny actually. Just that like instead of yeah instead of a wall yeah like, like he draws words that say this is a wall, then a bunch of other words like here's a table and chairs again superfluous, so I haven't drawn them. Um, <laughs> you know, here's my attempt okay, to sure. Like there's a, there's an extended thing of uh, of a uh, of a of Bradley trying to shrug his, shrug his shoulders and Simon Harrison basically saying like I've drawn I've written my I've drawn myself into a bit of a corner with Bradley because he doesn't have shoulders so I I realized I'm, yeah I've tried to make him shrug his shoulders he doesn't have them this is kind of a a difficult thing so let's just kind of move on you know <laughs> anyway Bradley gets sent to a to a group home and his parents are shocked but then they're like ah listen. Like, I've heard about these places. He thinks he's going to have a good time, but soon he'll be begging to come back. And indeed, that seems pretty, like, fair. Like, we kind of see, like, an image of this um, group home, like, an industrial setting kind of thing. Everything's very blue and industrial, and it's slow, and the color's slowly seeping out of Bradley as he goes, as this, like, matron, like, hits him with a, you know, lightly taps him with a rod and stuff like that. I'm surprised his parents are upset that he's been taken away from them by the way it seems he treats them. Yeah, it's true. Like, <laughs> but you know, they, they, they've got Stockholm syndrome at this point for Bradley, I'm ah. sure. Like, you know, they've got that, got that parent thing where they just kind of like, you know, still want to take no care of their kid or whatever. Sir. Yeah. No matter how often he like, you know, abuses and destroys their house or whatever. But yeah, very disturbed, like very rough. Um, what you call it? Industrial setting here. The one guy's named Tarkin the Git, another guy's another Git, etc. So, yeah, great word. Very disturbing um, um, envelope that says Prince Andrew on the bottom. Probably better not to talk about. And um, <laughs> here we go. Like, will Bradley escape? I guess we'll find out when Bradley eventually returns. I think we'll get him like either ninety-two. Ni- I don't think in ninety-one, but I believe in ninety-two. That's when the. Um, that's when more of. The um, like poem Bradley's come back. I think. When does he stop appearing? Do you know? I mean, you know, there's always, always the the threat of Bradley always hangs <laughs> over us, right? Like, uh, like nuclear war in the uh, in, in the eighties. You know. Um, well, let me see. Hold on, just a moment. 
Yeah, I, I, I guess the last Bradley's in 94, I want to say. Still got a lot to go there. So we got, we got a fair amount to go. Although I think, yeah, like, you know, like, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's supposed to be bedtime stories. And yeah, I think the next one is in August 92. Oh, and actually, I think that cover when he comes back in 795, uh, maybe that's probably actually not in the actual, this actual special. Never mind. Um, so yeah. Um, but that takes us to Thrill 11. Where are they now? Part three. Art by Will Simpson. And oh, it looks like Max Normals ran an antique an antique clothing store in Mega City One. Um, Makes sense for him. Yeah, definitely. Like he, I mean, he wears antique clothes himself. Nary a knee pad in sight, so it makes sense that he'd be into it. Um, I like though I that he just dressed normal like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, come on, buddy. Like at least like some kind of padding. It's ridiculous. A tie. Get out of here. Um, but I like that the the antique clothes that he has are all. Um, like fashions from various um, uh, music videos at the time. Like, oh, okay, interesting. I definitely see like Madonna oh, is, um, and yeah, Paul Abdul on that there. One sitting down, gonna be Madonna. Yeah, yeah, she's got the uh, the cone bra and whatever, and like Paul Abdul is like in the with with with, with like the epaulets and stuff like that. Like that's a very she's a very kind of weird. M- militaristic look in some of her videos i guess um and then but but because it's all these video vixens we also see like a bunch of kids getting dragged away from looking into the into the uh into the shop as we see max like sort of tidying up the girdle on one of the models and stuff good times from will simpson though definitely yeah just a fun black and white will simpson here like this i mean honestly i like if, if i didn't know or they could actually be but these kind of feel like um like almost like fan commissions or something like that. Yeah, I could see that with some of these. Yeah, like I could, I could definitely see like someone asking like Mike White to draw an Abelard Snaz. And like Tharg saying, "Oh, can we just use that as well?" Exactly. Yeah, or like just even just Tharg being like, "Hey, like we need like some 2000 AD related pictures. We got to fill some pages <laughs> in the last minute." You know. I know they have used like commission work before with the uh, Judge Dread Mega Collection, the Acropolis one. Oh wow, cool! Yeah, I I know that, but it definitely makes sense. And these ones, like especially this Max Normal one, feels like something that you I could see a fan commissioning Will Simpson and asking him to like you know add like some some uh, famous people in here or something like that. But speaking of uh, famous 2000 AD folks, we're going again to Thrill Twelve, Tharg the Mighty. Future Shock. Yeah, it's a Future Shock, but also a, a Tharg Heavy. Future Shock. Hmm. So I feel like it I kind really of... um, like the art in this one as well. It's uh, by the legendary Eric Badbury. And he does like almost three different styles for it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Script wrote about the Mighty One. Art wrote about Eric Bradbury. Leg wrote about Gordon Kidd Robson. Yeah, I, I'm really happy to see Eric Bradbury here. You know, he's such this... He's this classic British artist. And we haven't seen him in uh, 2008 since 86 or so. So it's really cool to see him back. And he's going to do a couple other things in the prog he does like the uh he does a strip for the Tharg's 14th anniversary and stuff and it's really nice just to see him back here because he does have a like like you said like not only does he have a distinct style but he has a couple distinct styles that he can kind of jump between which is i think is a really amazing talent um anyway we see Tharg showing us around the nerve center and says it's important to work hard on future shocks you know even though they might seem second tier or something and so he gives us an example of a possible future shock. 
as a cute talking rabbit um, stows away on a mad scientist's time machine. And we kind of get this first style. Yeah, we get which is sort of what I think of as especially when we get these close ups of the uh, mad scientists, Mm -hmm. this classic Mm -hmm. Eric Bradbury style, which is very kind of like gritty and grimy almost. Almost monstrous looking faces. Exactly. Yeah, these are all like very like 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 it's sort of two scientists arguing with each other about time machine, and one's kind of bald, like bald with long hair on the sides, and one is a crude cut. And they could both easily be the bad guy in a different future shock, you know. But so they send like a photo, uh, like a, a probe with cameras all around it to the past, and the and the talking bunny tags along. And then we get our sec- our third art style because the bu- the talking bunny rabbit lost in the past has turned the world into a cute cartoon world, <laughs> basically. And I love it plays with uh, one of the rules of time travel where if you change something, you don't realize because you also have been changed by it. Absolutely. Yeah, they look around like nothing's changed, but we see that they themselves have become these very clean, like Saturday morning cartoon-like characters, basically. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, definitely. Like, just, again, playing with these art styles and stuff that they don't even notice. They've completely changed genres, almost. What yeah. number template of a Future Shock would you say this one is? Well, I mean, again, like, the numbers I have for them are very arbitrary. But, I mean, <laughs> the, I mean, the, uh, like, the kaleidoscope um, um, Future Shock of just um, someone tries to do something in the past and doesn't realize it is a, is a pretty classic one. I mean, there's a... There's a great Alan Moore one, I, th- I think it was Alan Moore, but one of these ones where there's a, t- you know, a very classic like Einstein looking, um, Einstein looking scientist who keeps changing the past and not realizing it. And we see him go through like 10 or 12 different like eras of scientist guy, of, of like, of like what a scientist looks like and stuff. And I think by the end he's turned into like a witch doctor or something like that. Like, and you also do one where someone went back in time to see Shakespeare or to watch a play of Shakespeare? Yeah, he was a Shakespeare. He was a um, – that was definitely an Alan Moore one where he goes back in time. A Shakespeare, like, master scholar goes back in time and becomes Shakespeare and writes all of his plays from memory and stuff like that. And then sort of the big twist at the end is like, but wait a minute. If I'm Shakespeare and I was writing all the plays from memory, then who actually – what? Wh- where did those plays come from in the first place? Whoa. It's a good little, yeah, you know, time travel, like not noticing time travel, like also time travel with the like, um, in the end, I became like, it was me that did it or something like that, you know, like I'm my own, I'm my own father kind of time travel mm-hmm. stuff. Those are classic stories, you know, or the you're old trying to stop something happening in the past, but you going in the past is what caused it to happen. Definitely. Kind of yeah. Those are up there with like, oh, the video game was real, or the alien invaders are actually very tiny, or um, I'm going to take your request very literally for um, sort of classic future shocks, I guess. I feel like there should be one that's just uh, this future shock started as a pun and we worked backwards. That feels like that. I don't, I don't think we talk about that one enough, but I feel like that's definitely a genre of future shocks, you know. <laughs> 
I'm like, listen, I wanted to say um, it's like a cat among the pigeons. That was a recent one. So like we're going we're gonna to figure out how to make that a science fiction story, guys. It's going to work out, you know. But speaking of um, telling stories that have, lose all sense of perspective, I guess, let's go to Thrill 13, Bix Barton. Uh, script robot Peter Milligan, art robot Jim McCarthy, and no lettering robot listed. Boo! So we see... So Bix Barton, he's back. Oh, man. We had a little bit of Bix at the start of uh, 1990. We're going to have some more in 1991 when he goes up against the Carry-On League, which... Okay, I have no... Um relationship with her picks up this is my first time reading a story oh nice yeah he's a char- he's you know he's this character by uh peter milligan and he's very much like like a like like a fop or a dandy i guess i don't know he's kind of an upper cr- upper crust english guy went to the went to private schools love lo- loves rugby stuff like that um I guess in the 40s, apparently in the 40s, he like fought the, um, like this, the, this, uh, evil wizard called Steve Ditto, who was working for the Nazis. A very like sort of Indiana Jones style, like, uh, spirit, like a magic war, magic World War II. The current strip and police circus is a bit influenced by this then. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Like, it's, it's definitely drawing a lot of like, it's 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 it, like this thing is drawing from a lot of different different sources itself, and okay. I feel like a lot of it is just like sort of like British people sort of talking about the uh, the very strange, the mundane kind of way or something like that. Talk British upper lip about like the macabre. Exa- yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, Big Spart talks about being the uh, the master of the rum and uncanny and things like that. I guess, but then also just just just. Peter Milligan doing what he does best, which is kind of surreal jokes, basically. Mm-hmm. That's something he's very into, I think. Um, so Bix has been ca- so Bix and his cane, Michael Kane, have been called to Trafalgar Square, where everything's flying around in zero gravity, and also things are getting very strange. Uh, everyone's toenails are growing at a rate of three feet per hour, which is no good. Ooh, no, no good. No. A very uh, Thompson and Thompson-looking government guy. Um, explains what's going on as he hands Bix a giant pair of scissors that he uses to periodically clip his massive toenails in a way that is just, 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 it sets my teeth on edge to see it. I I don't like it very much at all. No, I don't know what it is, but just again, like really long toenails and then cutting up the improper tools is, is no good. Um, so, he, so the government guy explains there was once a uh, a rich artistic kid by the name of Elizabeth Taylor, uh, uh, a boy named Liz, who um, calling him that, boy you know, named Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor, Mister, you know, it's a whole thing, you know, some guy, some boys giggle and I'd get Riz, <laughs> boy, his life ain't easy when you're a boy named Liz. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't figure out a third a third red joke in there. Some girls giggle, I get Liz. Some guys laughed, and I'd kick their shiz, because life ain't easy when you're a boy named Liz. All right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) But so um, he has an art exhibit, and everybody makes fun of him because he has no sense of proportion, I guess, and his art's just kind of crappy. That doesn't stop him, though. Here on the wall. Very, like, like even I can do better art than that. My art's terrible. Um, Mm. But so because of that, he realizes that – 
you know, or he tries to get like art teachers and to improve himself, but eventually he sort of goes insane, gets a bit Welsh in the attic, as they say in this comic, I guess. Um, and so he decides to spend his fortune to get a frontal lobe, yeah, frontal lobe accelerated growth processes. That's really bad. Makes his head grow, just grow a giant butt on his forehead, basically. <laughs> um, and um, apparently this is supposed to make him super smart, but also has many side effects. And it definitely doesn't improve his artwork and things. He's uncomfortable by the fact that he has to wear a brassiere to keep it supported. Yeah, eventually his, his lobes get so big, he's got to get a, a, a head bra to, um, to support it and stuff. It's pretty rough. And it especially gets rough because at some point his brain gets so big that um, his mind begins to affect his very environment, making it as out of proportion as his own draw as his own drawings. Oh no! But because of that, he decides to do the natural thing, which is instead embrace a life of super villainy. As you do. Yeah, he goes to the finest shops on Molten Street and has a supervillain costume made. He calls himself the Disproportionate Man. I do like that his costume's not even even as well. Definitely, yeah. It's like he's got um like white and blue boxer shorts, don't even legs. Only one tail of his shirt is tucked in with a big D on it. And he's got like a teddy bear and kind of a monster kind of thing on his, sh- mm. on his shoulder, hold- sort of holding the cape up. Like not quite Dred- Judge Dredd style, actually more like uh, like a Homelander on the boys. If you watch that show, the little eagles he has on his shoulders. His cape is also uneven. Oh, that's yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's sort of got yeah. One's like about waist high, the other's maybe knee high. Excellent. Yeah, listen, no proportion. It's good times. <laughs> um, because of that, he ends. He uh, goes and destroys the Luton Louvre, which I guess is some kind of uh, museum. I couldn't find one for real. And now he has taken for the alliteration of it. Then definitely, yes, is very, uh, very English, very uh, alliterative, excellent. We see a, a uh, security guard sort of be, get all messed up. See what his powers do. Disproportionate. It's terrifying. Mm. But suddenly he entered into a plain white room, and the lack of stimul of stimulus caused his powers to fail, and he went into a tr- into a trance state which allowed the government to capture him because he needs constant stimulation or his mind withdraws. Sadly, though, when they were taking him to prison, the truck he was in was in an accident. And so now he's wandered off and to, you know, just kind of destroy, destroy to Trafalgar Square. And will then he's headed to Parliament, which will, um, you know, destroy the country or whatever. Bad times. <laughs> so Bix... It's, it's up to Bix to stop this guy. It's in his wheelhouse, and luckily he does have a plan. But first, he's got to have a cup of tea and some proper nail clippers, which is, ooh, less said the better. Um, mm-hmm. He goes to um, the Department of the Irrational, his base, and grabs some stuff, and then goes to talk to Liz at uh, Parliament, which is getting um, – when he arrives at the House of Parliament, we see sort of mm. Big Ben, a little off kilter here. One of the uh, faces of the clocks has gone flying, almost looking like a uh, oh, that's right, starship from Star Trek with a little yeah, yeah. The uh, the uh, arms have become like the nacelles on the uh, on the side of the Enterprise or whatever, <laughs> or maybe also Dolly like this, like a melty uh, clock. Yeah, Dolly as well. Yeah. Um, but he enters into the House of Parliament. He sees um, he sees 
Taylor and thinks that he's far away, but then he punches him. It's like, oh, he's out of proportion. Like, you know, like, oh, geez. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good, uh, good, good sight. Yeah. Good use of the space here. Um, But so he knows that only an absence of art and stimulation will take down Elizabeth Taylor. And so Bix unleashes a recording of the love songs of Dennis Norton, who's a British comedy writer and TV presenter. And I guess uh, the joke is that he must be so boring. Yeah, the, the nasal tones of Norton's voice does the trick. And he's... Uh, Liz is momentarily stricken by a sense of nothingness, which allows Bix enough time to whap him upside the head with a cane. And then... Michael agreed to that. You know, I feel like, you know, Michael Caine will do some cane things periodically, although he will complain about it afterwards and stuff. But so, uh... Liz is take is a is a carted off in a in a in a in a in a in a in a, in a toilet tank. It looks like I don't know. Um, mm. And sadly, even though his powers have waned, the members of Parliament are still quite disproportional. Eh? Eh? The boom, day is boom. saved, but will the government ever truly be proportional? Whoa! Yes. And Michael Caine says, "Yeah, let's not talk about politics, buddy. Let's get out of here." <laughs> The end. Uh, uh, <laughs> All right. Art piece. Yeah, the special ends with Tharg wishing us a, a, a good night. My name's Fog. Good night. What do you think? Mike Elton John? I don't know. What this is a reference to Elton John, do you think? Maybe. I'm just saying that because he's got a coat on that's very sparkly and he's got glasses. Mm, like those sort those, of – those two. I would have thought – I wouldn't go into the theme of like the comedy though. Ooh, yeah, you're right. I should, I should, I didn't research this before, and I didn't research to get him. I'm, uh, I'm falling down on the job here. Yeah, it definitely could be a stand-up comedy guy because he's got a stand-up comedy look here with the mic it's and the mic stand next to him and stuff. Him. Yeah, and the curtain behind him. You're right. Oh God, I messed it up. I'm sorry. By Stevie Owl. It was also an artist I'd, I'm not really familiar with. Ooh. Mm, mysterious. All right. <laughs> With that, with that question mark at the end, and I'm sure many people will yell at me and, and, and tell me afterwards, so don't worry. We'll figure it out eventually. Um, Graham Cannon, I must know, what were your top and bottom thrills for this, the 1990 winter special? Quite difficult for top, because it's either the second Future Shark, just because of Eric Badbury's wonderful art, or the Big Spartan, because I quite found that one very funny. Yeah, there's definitely some funny stuff in there, for sure. What do you yeah. think? I think Big Spartan, just because it's the one that nailed its premise of being funny. Nice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, I think. Um, it's definitely – like, I mean, the Big Spartan stories are definitely there to sort of have this ridiculous, humorous edge. I mean, the uh, the, the story coming up in in 1991 sees him fighting or, or going up against a secret society that's based on the, uh, the carry-on movies and everyone's <laughs> – had like plastic surgery to look like various carry on cast members and I'm stuff. I'm sure you enjoyed your research on that. It's very like, I mean, luckily we had the carry on judging story from us from her previous uh, special. So I, I wasn't going in completely blind, but it is like, it is sometimes like just sort of walking into an alien civilization with these, with these kind of jokes and stuff like it's that. One, it's another country, and two, it's the past. Yeah, well, like, and like, there's very little, like, sort of introductory carry-on things, I guess. 
because I my understanding is that in England, if you're any age, you sort of grew up with them being on TV like during the day and stuff like that. Like before you think to look up a carry on movie on the Internet, you've already seen like five of them or something like that. So there's no like need to explain, you know, like there's no and there's just no like 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 there's the, like that and like only fools and horses that sort of thing that's it's always somewhere on the, the tv yeah but it's all yeah and because of that it means that like i've got to pick it up from from context clues and stuff like there's a there's a wikipedia page but it's it's pretty dense and hard to figure out like you know i know del boy fell through the bar but that's all that's all i know i don't even know who del boy is <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right. So, what? What? What's your bottom thrill for for this one? I don't know if this is still just an easy gimme, but probably going to be Bradley. That's fair. Just have no time for it. <laughs> Simon Harrison didn't have time for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's super fair. I think hey, from Conrad, yeah. Oh, good. I have a question for you. Ooh, I must know. What is your top and bottom thrill? Oh, this the winter special. It's a good question. Um. I think eh, actually I might I might pick the first Tharg the Mighty story for this one um with the, Ooh, the uh, uh, with, with the Ascara art just cuz I really like that one's yeah it's very meta just in like here's a comic that's the story of how this comic came to be I guess but I do a lot of good sight gags as well. Yeah, it? I like the sight gags. I like the caricatures. I even like uh, uh, Bert having all these puns and stuff like that. Like all of that is really um, is pretty fun. And um, yeah, so I think that one is 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 what did it for me. Um, for top, for bottom, ooh, I might I might join you with Bradley. I think that's sort of an easy easy punching bag for me, especially if we're cutting out. Um, like the the tech stories and stuff like that. Like this Tharg yeah, the movie story is Tharg the motion picture. I just didn't read it, so that's even beyond like being chosen for last. It's like yeah, right, not, great. yeah, not, <laughs> not 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 even in the running, not even eligible. You know, it's like your your like kid brother running line. the race. Yeah, but yeah, so I think otherwise. Yeah, but with that, uh, with, with a usual proviso of that not being there, I would say I'll pick the I'll, I'll pick Bradley. It's pretty easy choice for me. All right, awesome. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Thank you so much, Graham, for coming back and doing this a second time. No as always, oh no, th- yeah, but thank you again. Uh, as always, you can find Space Spin Two Thousand on iTunes, Stitch at the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, SpacePinner Two Thousand dot com. Feel free to contact us at SpacePinner Two Thousand at gmail dot com. The Two Thousand Eighty Forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at SpacePinner Two K for everything else. SpacePinner Two Thousand. We should be there. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Zane Kip Miller, and your friends, the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, oh, and Graham as, as well, thank you so much, uh, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Cradleline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent content and rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Graham, thanks so much for coming on the show. Is there anything you'd like to plug or where people can find you on the internet? Uh, not really, but I would like to use some uh, superliminal advertising for your Patreon. Uh, to everyone listen, hey you, join their Patreon. <laughs> yes, the superliminal advertising. Join the Navy. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
Come back next week as oh no, actually never mind. Um I got I've I've got the comeback next time for when this episode was gonna come out as opposed to when it will oh, come no, out. You didn't update it. Check out the still check out the nineteen nineties spinnies. They were fun. But then come back next <laughs> next time. Yes, they were amazing spinnies. Mm. As we'll get to the start of uh nineteen ninety one, which is gonna be a very exciting episode because it's one of the episodes where I take a back seat and Fox takes the wheel and hosts the episode himself as we go into the show. That's right. What's it? What are the power balances when Fox is the boss and Conrad is drunk and belligerent? We'll find out on episode two thirty four. Listen, yeah. Well, this is an. Um, this is yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to be as Fox as possible. So it's going to be very exciting. <laughs> And until then, I'm Conrad, he's Graham, and we are Space Spinner 2000. You're unbelievable.